Hey everyone, and welcome to Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host Adam Reck talk about three X-Men stories, and we rank them. We rank them from best to worst on our big old list of every X-Men story of all time. Adam, how are you doing today? I am good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you indeed. And this is definitely being recorded in the year 2018 <laughs> and not early. The future. That's that's what we do here. And we do it with the support of the great people on Patreon.com who uh, chip, in, chip in a couple of bucks to make this happen. And today, today that person is Sean McNally. And he has a fun suggestion for us, an issue I'm really excited about. Yeah, I like this. His suggestion was Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, number 183, called He'll Never Make Me Cry. It's better known as the one where Colossus and the Juggernaut get into a bar fight. Yes. And no one helps. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's very purposeful. And this, no, this is an out and out classic. I absolutely love this. It is. So Claremont's Claremont's probably biggest things are his epics, your mm-hmm. days of future past, your dark Phoenix saga, your brood saga, Inferno, all that stuff. That's what people think of when they think of Claremont. But when you get down to the surface, this is the standalone issues that I loved stuff like this. That is a big character piece. Stakes are pretty low, all things considered. This isn't an end-of-the-world thing at all. No. But it's so much fun. Uh, I'm so glad that you said that because I'm really glad that someone recommended this issue. Um, Because, you know, I think there's a lot of criticism about the contemporary X-Men stories and where the franchise is at this this moment right now. And one of the things that I think sometimes gets left out, you know, is that we're always going for big, monstrous, uh, you know, colossal crossover stories, but we forget that a lot of people love X-Men because of these small, very human moments uh, that come in between the adventures. And um, I want to just quickly note that there are six solid pages at the beginning of this um, issue that are an absolute masterclass from John Romita Jr. It's just Kitty and Peter sitting on a cliffside. And of all the things, you know, like uh, Claremont is stuck with the fact that Secret Wars wedged in the X-Men and that Colossus fell in love with someone while he was in Secret Wars, which he had probably no story input in whatsoever. And he still brings that that little soap opera angle back into the book and makes the entire issue hinge off of that, which is, oh, it's outstanding. Right. And let's talk for a second about why this conversation has to happen. So Jim Shooter, who... Did a lot of good, did a lot of stuff that not everyone's thrilled with. 
as editor in chief <laughs> of Marvel. He saw that Kitty Pride was 13 and a half when she started on the X Men, and mm-hmm. Colossus was 18. Now, Kitty aged faster than Colossus. And in fact, uh, in the latest issue of X-Men Gold, Mark Guggenheim goes on a pretty good description of this and why what was an issue in this comic is not really an issue in today's comics just because people age at different speeds, I guess. (laughs) In comics because because they default to whatever mid 20 early 30 some ideal you have in your head and that's just mm-hmm. that's where people kind of cap off on uh, right. so in this issue jim shooter essentially in secret said hey uh yeah we can't have this 18 year old and this 14 year old dating uh i don't really care the optics are very bad about that and he has a valid point in yeah, that adults absolutely. shouldn't be dating junior hires regardless of how mature kitty pride was and Kitty Pride was always probably written a little more mature than eh, 13 and a half. But uh, yeah, so they break up and Kitty is upset about this. She puts on a stern face, but she is pretty, pretty not happy. Uh, she talks to Eliana and Storm about this, and you know, they're both trying to console her. The guys, however, take a different approach. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it they do well look so at this point in continuity wolverine and kitty have not become super close yet that happens immediately after this mm-hmm. he hasn't become the wolverine mentor to all the teen girls yet but right. he still he still knows shady stuff when he sees it uh nightcrawler as well he's like ah peter peter you're kind of being a dick <laughs> so they take him out to a bar and they talk at this bar is juggernaut. He's just chilling. He's chilling. You know? Uh He had just gotten his behind handed to him by Spider-Man in the epic classic. Nothing stops the juggernaut. Except concrete, apparently. Yeah. Well, he walked into a lot of concrete and kind of <laughs> didn't drown because the you know, Crimson Gem of Sidorect does not require you to breathe or eat or anything like that. But he was just kind of stuck in some concrete for a little bit. Anyway. Well, he's just he's just hanging out at Monahan's, you know. Yeah. He's uh, having a nice conversation with the lady. Seems to be going well. Yeah, he's just trying to enjoy his life. Yeah. Anyway, Colossus runs into him. Maybe this was purposeful. Maybe Wolverine set this whole thing up. It looks a little like uh, Wolverine trips him, maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. no. He <laughs> he knew that he could outdrink Peter Rasputin, and That's right. he made sure to set things in motion. So even though he didn't have to whoop Peter for being a real real jerk to Kitty, that that Peter was going to learn his lesson. So they uh they fight, and Peter gets whooped. I love this fight. Like John Romita Jr. does such a good job drawing this. The fact that oh, yeah. Colossus gets beaten with the bar at the bar. It's <laughs> perfect. It's it is the knockdown drag out thing versus Hulk kind of fight that you want to see when you got the two big boys uh battling in each other. And by the way, uh Wolverine and Nightcrawler 
just kind of lean back and you can see it on the cover. It's perfect. Nightcrawler's kind of getting excited like he wants to watch it. Wolverine's being very casual about this experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, uh, you know, he's like taking on a cigarette. He's relaxed. You know, he's just enjoying the show, which is great. Um, you know, I I think I've spoken on the show before about my absolute love of uh, John Romita Jr. in general, but also his run with and Nascenti on Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost wish like he had a, a couple more pages to, to breathe on this fight scene. Cause you're right. It's so much fun that, you know, juggernaut literally picks up the bar and slams it on Colossus head. And by the time we get to the end of this thing, everybody's run out of the bar and the whole place just collapses on them, you know? Um, so it, it would be fun to, to see him have a little bit more room with this, but even with the number of pages that he does this fight sequence in, it's awesome. Yeah so great it it's a lot of it's a lot of good action in there i like that i love that the juggernaut is not looking for a fight he's not looking to be a bad guy here he just kind of ends up getting his night ruined and he has a short temper he's just got he's got a little fuse there and it got set off and then he he like pays the bar owner he's like look figure it out uh i get it my bad i probably stole this money so well, but here, you know, I do find it amusing that uh, New York real estate is apparently uh, uh, able to be rebuilt with just a, a roll of cash. But, you know, hey, <laughs> must be all hundreds. I, I guess. assume it's a lot of cash. Like, I don't I don't think <laughs> yeah. juggernauts walking around money is a couple of fives. No, that's a good nah, point. But but uh, yeah, he does bring the place down. And I, I had remembered incorrectly. I thought this took place in Harry's. Um, but I, I'm glad to see that Harry's bar did not get uh, taken down to the studs on this. This day. time. I kn- I only yeah. know of one time that Harry's has been completely destroyed. And that was in uh, Extinction Agenda. Not Extinction. Executioner's Song. Uh, yeah, it gets knocked down completely in Executioner's song. And I, I guess I had thought that this had happened before. I thought that that was a recurring uh, theme at Harry's, but I, I'm glad to see that that's not the nah, case. Harry's is still around as of 2013, 14, I think, somewhere around there. Yeah, makes makes for a good yeah, stop. Yeah, I, I just happened to run into that in a different issue that I was reading. So it was it was nice to see that's that. Great. But yeah, this is a fun issue. It's very... Uh, it's very classic Claremont with the team dynamic side of it. And that's the big thing. Like this team right here with Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Shadowcat, Nightcrawler, uh, Rogue, and sometimes Cyclops is mm-hmm. my X-Men. Like that's that's my default. A lot of people default to like the blue team or something like that in the 90s. No, it's this, this roster right here is what I think about when I think about X-Men. And this is such a classic – just character moment issue that I absolutely adore it. I love going back to it. It's one of the, it's one of the highlights of the Claremont run. Yeah. I just, there's a couple of quick things I just want to say before we rank this. Um, There's a nice little rogue moment in here um, where rogue is still sort of this outcast, you know, um, very conflicted new member to the team. Uh, and, and she's challenging herself in the danger room. I really like that scene. I also just want to put in a quick shout out to the fact that Wolverine is still short, um, in this issue. Um, and when he stands next to Colossus, he, he like barely comes up to his collarbone. And I think that's awesome because Wolverine should be short <laughs> forever. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a big tall Wolverine guy. Like give me, give me my short little Canadian, give him covered in yeah. fur and, yeah. you know, strap on some knives. That's all I want. 
There you go. Now. Perfect. So uh, where, do you, where do you want to rank this, Zach? This is a good story. This is a good, this is a good yeah, standalone. I think it's really awesome. Uh, we, got, we got a chunk of standalones right here. Uh, just eating it outside of the top 10 with what I like to call our Barry Windsor Smith block. We got mm-hmm. at number 10, Wounded Wolf. At number 11, Life Death 2. And number 12, Life Death 1. I like this better than both life deaths. Um, you know, I, I'm biased on John Romita Jr. I know I'm, I'm a much bigger fan than maybe some other people are, but I, I love this this era of mm-hmm. X-Men. Um, and I love seeing his artwork. And I think this has a lot of great character moments from multiple characters as opposed to just one yeah. or two. Um, Here, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I know I like it better than the life deaths. And it, it okay. fits the same mold of those classic Claremont one shots. I don't think yeah. it's as good as Dark Angel Saga, which we have at number eight. Right. It's that block. So in between that, we've got X-Men 1, 2, and 3, Mutant Genesis, and Wounded Wolf. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. I know it's somewhere around those two issues. What are your thoughts? I know no, you're I'm... hotter on X-Men Volume 2, 1, 2, and 3 than I am, so I'd – yeah, and I, I I like Mutant Genesis, but at the same time, um, I think this is better. Yep. You know, this has so much more character uh, investment in it. You know, X Men One, Two, and Three is uh, you know it's a really tight little action story, and uh, doesn't have a lot of breathing room. And I think this deserves a lot of credit because this is really this X Men uh, One Eighty Three is a lot of what we look for in X Men that we don't always get. So I, I think we should pay a little respect to it. Oh, yeah, respect. definitely. I mean, I think I was saying on – I was talking to somebody about X-Men the other day, and I was saying, look, when do we just get the X-Men book that is zero fights and all people sitting around talking about their feelings? Because that's yeah. that's that's my ideal X-Men, like one of those existing. <laughs> I understand that that yeah. would sell four copies. But I, I, I want to read it too. We're half the audience, dude. Yeah. All right. So I think. All right. So yeah, that nine? makes it number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Uh, Uncanny X Men Volume One, One Eighty Three: The Bar Fight. Nice. All right. And moving on over, since it is New Year's Eve day, it's New Year's Day when you're listening to this. If we're the first thing you listen to in the new year, in which case, Happy 2018, I guess. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe celebrate with when family and friends or something instead of us, but. You do you. <laughs> uh, but we have the next issue, which is another Mutant Night Out. This is Excalibur 91. It is written by Warren Ellis with pencils by Mike Ringo, Dave Williams, Jeff Moy, and Mike Miller. There's a lot of guys who work on this comic. Yeah, it's it's uh, quite the quite the arc team here, um, and you, you got to help me out here a little bit, Zach, because you know my later Excalibur knowledge is is really poor. Um, can you set something up for me? How old is Pete Wisdom supposed to be? Uh, I mean, I think the real answer is how old was Warren Ellis in nineteen ninety five? Because Pete Wisdom <laughs> is Warren Ellis, like. Okay. I don't I don't know how you feel about Warren Ellis because you do seem to be about the right age where like you would get real into transmit just guessing out there. But like I wasn't I'm I don't dislike Warren Ellis at, at all. 
I don't. I'm not like in love with him. I think he's perfectly fine. I honestly, I haven't read. Uh, I'm trying to go back and think of what I actually have read that Warren Ellis. Even really, did. Um, the reason I the reason I ask about it is because you know we were just talking about this age yep. difference thing with Colossus and Kitty, and here it comes back up again, yeah. and it's weird to say the least. Um, I don't know. I mean. I, I'm coming into this issue cold, but uh, this issue begins with a uh, conversation about uh, their relationship, uh, Kitty and Pete Wisdom, uh, that then leads to a night at the bar for the Excalibur yeah. crew. Um, it it's is weird. So uh, <laughs> to set some context up for this arc, Pete Wisdom started working with the team right before uh, Age of Apocalypse. In fact, I think they are okay. on the way to... Uh, the first mission with Pete Wisdom as their like government contact or whatever. When the uh, Mkron crystal goes crazy and crystallizes the entire world, that sets up Age of Apocalypse. That happens mm-hmm. like that's the end of that issue, and then they go through Age of Apocalypse, and it's immediately back to this arc that you guys forgot about four months ago or whatever. <laughs> uh, but. Okay. Uh, so Pete Wisdom's been around the team for a little bit now. Uh, him and Kitty have started a relationship. She's been pretty. She was pretty reluctant to even involve him in Excalibur, but she saw that he was deep down a pretty good dude, and she was attracted to that. Which okay, I, I can buy that. I always found the Pete Wisdom Kitty Pride relationship a little odd, uh, according to Warren Ellis. He had no idea how old Kitty Pride was supposed to be in this. He thought, ah, she's probably like 18, 19 or something like that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, given the year, isn't Kitty still a teenager uh, here? We're going to try uh, not to think I, too hard about it. The real answer <laughs> is she probably should be, but that wasn't the author's intent. And because of how ages work in comic books, it's just going to happen. Yeah. All right. So – there's there's one question that I have. I have another question that uh, also really kind of confused me about this issue. Um, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Brian Braddock an alcoholic? Yeah. He yeah. is, right? Okay, because there's this weird scene where they're asking everybody to go to the bar. And um, it's revealed that Brian has kind of programmed uh, their plane to autopilot back to base. Um, and Megan is like, Oh, I never realized you were, uh, she calls him a, a logger lout. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like that's an intrinsic part of his character, isn't it? That he has had problems with alcohol as, as part of his, you know, so, storyline. Like, since so you know how, you know how people give Brian Bendis, a lot of crap for not caring about continuity. Yeah, Warren yeah. Ellis is always worse about that. There's, <laughs> okay. There's I never, just wanted to make sure I wasn't no, going there's crazy. never been a time when Warren Ellis was going to let continuity get in the way of the story he wants to tell. But if I, I don't think Brian actually drinks in this issue, if I'm remembering right. No, I, I don't. I don't know that he does either. I just thought that was a really uh, strange remark to someone who has battled alcoholism in his lifetime. Um, but, uh, you know, this issue has a, a lot of interesting characterization things like the, the way that rain is written as well as, is kind of 
odd at times. Like she seems to be written like as this indignant straight edge kid, um, you know, who's much younger than I might have placed her See, at this point in continuity. I, could, I but... don't think we've ever seen Rain go out to a bar though. And I could totally yeah, buy Rain right? the super uh not Catholic, uh I don't know what denomination her terrible uh father was supposed to be, but let's not pretend it is normal. <laughs> They're the pitchfork yeah. denomination. Oh, actually, I was flipping through the pages yeah. just to jump back to what we said. There is a conversation that Brian has with Doug Locke, who let's not even get into Doug Locke. Which Yeah. Doug Locke's an interesting I guess we have to. Ones. For people who don't know, Doug Locke is the it's a weird combination of Doug Ramsey and Warlock that can't decide which one it wants to be more. It's odd. Sure. Yeah. And comes with a really, uh, really interesting Excalibur crossover, not a crossover, but a, a, an arc which involved zero. Didn't I didn't read that. Didn't that I didn't read it. That's Never weird. Read that. Yeah. We should, we, we could cover that at some point. That is a bizarre bizarre storyline like zero's backstory is like what <laughs> that's absolutely bananas yeah um, so any we should probably get to the part where they wind up at the bar because i mean that's the important the part bar. of this issue is that everyone goes out to a bar and just kind of talks like that's yeah that's what i want in x-men which bar stories mm-hmm. give you an opportunity to do because people sit around and they talk you learn things that you wouldn't normally learn like uh moira mctaggart uh her She's from around here. She's frequented that bar a lot. She's known to uh, get very Scottish when she's drinking, and she cannot drink <laughs> much. Subtitle. Oh, like it, it was great. It was great to see someone who's normally so straight-laced uh, just get get hammered and see Moira McTaggart's wild side come out, which is a lot of fun. Like a bunch of the girls start doing a can-can on the table. Everyone's just – Sitting around enjoying getting to know Pete Wisdom, who has been kind of an awkward thing, especially with uh, especially with uh, Kurt and Brian, who corner him in the bathroom and say, hey, uh, <laughs> look, we've been here before. Don't hurt Kitty. Yeah, don't, don't mess this up. please. On one hand, I yes, Kitty is a strong, independent woman. She doesn't need them to protect her. However, she is their friend and Pete Wisdom has not really shown himself to be like the best influence in the world. So I can also see Kurt and Brian's standpoint of this is someone we see as our little sister. And yeah. look, you just you don't don't hurt her. And I, mm-hmm. I can I can get that. Um, it's, it's nice to see the characters act like a family, which is which is a, a lot yeah. of fun, especially with Excalibur, who had probably had the most they had had the most consistent lineup of any X book at this time. Yeah. Still, still pretty much the same crew. Uh, and I know, you know, we were talking about how weird Doug Lock is, but he does have a couple little interesting character moments. There's a great page where is again, it's weird because Brian is, I believe drinking something. It's um, not I, alcoholic. I it's a beer. He specifically, he's, may, oh, he actually specifically he say, say Hey, uh, I am an there alcoholic and I miss it. But yeah, this is this is a non-alcoholic drink. This is like a soda or something. There we go. 
All right, good. So, you know, Doug gets the chance to kind of like walk through the the chemical uh, effects of alcohol on your body. I, I don't know. I just, I find well, that amusing. I do wish that as the, if the cover uh, had, would, the insides of the issue were as advertised, that Doug Locke would have been can canning with the rest of his crew. See, um, if, but hey. here's the thing. If Doug Locke was feeling more warlocky, he would definitely be can canning. If he was feeling more <laughs> Doug Ramsey-y, I cannot imagine yeah. him wanting to do that. It's a it's no. a fun little thing. Like this is this no. is a kind of meaningless issue, but it's yeah. enjoyable to read. It gives you a good cross section, sure. and frankly, it's an issue that I wish the rest of Warren Ellis's Excalibur run could have learned from because there's a lot of good character stuff mm-hmm. in here that just isn't as present Doesn't in the rest of his run. Either. All right. Uh yeah. So where so do you, where would you put this on the list? I don't think it's as good as a miracle a few blocks down from 34th Street. I don't think it's as good no. as the Dracula story. I don't think it's as good as Mojo World. Mm-mm. I think it's better than Fatal Attractions. Yeah. And I'm with I, you. This is better than Bone Yeah, is it? <laughs> Bone Better than Exiles 1 and 2? Yeah, because I I want to reread this. Like, I've read it more than once already, and I'm happy about that, so. All right. I don't know if it's better than that that, uh, what if X-Men stayed in Asgard issue. No, I don't think it is. I think that this makes it our new number 42. Yeah, it's good. Excalibur uh, Volume 1, numbers 91. Go, Go check that out if you want. Yeah, it's fun. So. Our final issue for the day is Wolverine Volume 3, Number 6, called So This Priest Walks Into a Bar. This let, – let's take a second. So this is a Greg Rucka and it is a Derek Robertson uh, joint. The cover is by Asad Ribic. This is mm-hmm. – beautiful. I call cover. it an infamous cover. <laughs> well – it is strange in that um, Nightcrawler is apparently wearing yeah, no clothes. He's, he's nude. He is definitely yes. nude. Uh, and there is a story behind this that Greg Rucka posted on his Tumblr about this. I so he said, so someone was asking him about this cover because look, it's suggestive. Nightcrawler is dressed in the nude. Wolverine is sitting in a bar yep. and he has a bottle of Newcastle placed uh, uh, directly yes. above his groin. <laughs> yeah, directly. <laughs> so, I mean, look, it looks like a romance cover. It does. Yeah. So there you go. So what's a sad story? Greg Rucka tells the story on his Tumblr. He says, I was once at a show where I asked Assad about this cover. Assad is a big, cheerful man with a wicked sense of humor. He just looked at me and then he smiled and the smile got bigger and bigger. And he said, (laughs) nobody at Marvel noticed. And then he couldn't stop laughing. Ah, I love it. So he's just getting away with something. It's great. It's great. Because it's Kurt and Wolverine. I buy it. Is it weird that Kurt's Kurt's the most religious guy? It's a beautiful cover. In all of these bar stories, yeah, he's got to be the he's got to be the wingman here. This is an interesting story. So this is a coda to the rest of Greg Rucka's uh, first arc on here. 
which is about mm-hmm. uh, a woman who gets murdered. She's in uh, in bad with these people that have taken over this town. Uh, Wolverine finds out that these people have killed a lot of women, and he loses it. This is just one of the times where Wolverine said this has been a blind rage. He killed, I think, 37 people. Something like that. So he's – He acknowledges it in the conversation. Yeah, he's, he's looking for maybe not penance but just to get that off of his soul. And he mm-hmm. bring, talks to his good buddy Nightcrawler and they just – they have a conversation about is Wolverine good? Can he be redeemed? Any of that stuff? And it's very interesting. Yeah, I like the context of this issue as well in that, you know, when Kirk shows up, he looks like a a white Catholic priest, Um, but he's really just using his image inducer. Turns out this is a a mutant friendly bar. Uh, The bartender is a mutant. There are other people in the bar that are mutants and uh, Kirk, you know, reveals himself. And then they have this very confession style conversation um, where Wolverine reveals all of these horrible things that he's been doing. And Kurt, you know, has to kind of either comfort Wolverine or judge him. Um, and it, it, the conclusion of this is interesting. You know, it's Wolverine kind of uh, saying, I'm not an animal, but you're not sure if he believes himself or not. You know, there's there's uh, a little bit of nuance in this story. Yeah, that's and that's good. something Rucko is doing a lot in these uh, in this early part of this Wolverine run. Just kind of getting in. This was a no costumes, no code name kind of run. His first, I think, twelve or eighteen issues of this. I forget how many he actually did. But it really mm-hmm. gets into hey, what's Logan as a person, as a character? What is he like? What is he dealing with? What makes him tick? And this was a good, you know, talking heads issue. Definitely not as jovial and as lighthearted. It's kind of the antithesis of the other two bar issues we had. But I think right. it does a lot of good stuff with Wolverine. Uh, less with Nightcrawler. He really is just a sounding board in this, but he's able to be the sounding board that mm-hmm. is the moral center, which is right. a good role for him to play. Like I. Yeah. And I I think it works pretty well. I think there's a a weird um, subplot here of the detective that's attracted to Wolverine. Oh yeah. It's going through weird and uncomfortable, uh, um, including a scene where she's sort of like, you know, has a a dream about Wolverine coming into her bedroom and then he attacks her. You know, that stuff I could do without this conversation between uh, Kurt and Logan, though, um, is good. It's got good character work here. I think it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I like that it's open ended because that's the core of what Wolverine is. You know, he's expected to be this assassin, this killer, um, but he has to maintain his humanity at the same time. Yeah, I I like that. I like that. It's it's very much a Greg Ruck. It's very thoughtful comic it does a lot of stuff like that there are some mm-hmm. like the the stuff about uh casey lanthrop the uh alcohol tobacco and firearms agent uh she's a she's a center point of this entire run uh, that rucka does and it's it's uncomfortable the whole way through like she is a she mm-hmm. is a prototype greg rucka character like she is almost the 
she is a working model of that strong female uh, officer Greg Rucker character that you get in like Renee Montoya and you get in uh, I forget her name she is the female Punisher from his run there like this is a character mm-hmm. that I've seen him do better elsewhere but in Wolverine it's done okay. pretty poorly yeah yeah sort of figuring it out I guess uh, I would also like to note that this issue brings up an interesting question for me um, about Nightcrawler. Um, I believe it's on page oh, either nine or Well, I'll open that up here. and pretend like I actually um, have the comic right in front of me, which I do not. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, keep going. Yeah. So there's a point. Obviously, Nightcrawler has a prehensile tail. Um, we've seen him swing from it. We've seen him, you know, like kind of monkey around with it, uh, quite a bit, but there is a panel in which he uses the, uh, little triangle shaped portion of his tail, the tip of his tail to pick up a peanut at the bar. And I, I can't remember ever seeing that in another issue uh, of Kurt using that as sort of like a third hand. I was blown away by that. So do you know of any other instances where Kurt has that ability um, with that little, you know, I don't know his, what to call his, it even. His, his devil point? <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Never seen I, I mean, that. But I remember, yeah, once I once I flipped that panel, yeah, he's just holding a peanut. Like it's a third hand with that. Yeah. Never seen that before. He's ready to crack it open, but I've never seen that anywhere before. It was, it was it kind I've, of took me aback. It took me out I've of seen him use his tail to hold a sword, but normally he like wraps his tail around the sword several times, not with any sort of finesse. Yeah. No, I'm fascinated by this because the, the, the peanut is like thumb and yes. forefinger here. He's like, he's grasping it with his tail. I don't know. It's just some, something that we don't need to necessarily figure out, but I was kind of like, Whoa, wait, what? Nightcrawler yeah. can do that. It's, <laughs> it's odd. Weird. And like Derek Robertson, he does a fine job in this issue. The art is nothing to write home about on it. It's it's perfectly fine 2003 comic book art. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I mean, he's he's just setting the characters up in their locations and they're having a conversation. You know, it's not a big action adventure story. He's letting the text, uh, you know, kind of tell what what's going on. Um, there's not a lot of change in facial expressions for the most part, but yeah, I think it's pretty good. All right. So, uh, with that, where do you want to rank it on our list right now? We have 56 stories. This will be number 57. Uh, let's, let's look in the middle right now. So that'd be number 28 is ultimate X-Men volume one, the tomorrow people. I think this is worse than that. Oh yeah. No, I was going to go a lot lower than this. Um, you know, I, I think this is a good issue. I think that it speaks to uh, some good character work with the two characters, but you know, I, I'm not sure how I'm, much I'm going to want to revisit this. Um, uh, I was looking closer to maybe where we just ranked Excalibur, um, you know, that, that same area of the list, but did you, did you want no, to go higher than no, that? No, this is my least favorite of the three bar stories. No. I just, I didn't know if you were going oh, to okay. have some revelation about this comic, like it meant a lot, because really, honestly, the most memorable thing about this comic is the cover. And I have bought this floppy just for that cover because I adore <laughs> it and I love the story. It's a great, it's a great cover. 
And I don't think this is a bad story um, by any stretch. I just think that this is a story that gets told many, many times over and over again about Wolverine. Um, You know, many of the artists, many of the writers who have tackled Wolverine over the years have used this as the core conceit, um, you know, because it's a, it's a core element to who he is. So, you know, it's not necessarily. It does normally involve more ninjas though. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. I like that. This is just kind of a quiet conversation between two characters and I, I like issues like this, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it's that standout. So, um, I guess we're really talking about, do you think it's better than exiles one and two versus how high? Um, I don't know. Exiles one and two were, I thought they were enjoyable. They were fun. They introduced some new cool, uh, takes on some characters that I liked. Um, so I don't know if it's better than that. Uh, I also don't know if it's better than even X-Men volume one, 12 and 13, where we first get a chance to see the juggernaut. Cause that is kind of a fun, suspenseful, you know, goofy, where's he, where's he coming from kind of a thing. Um, but I do think it's better than the first issue. Okay. Of X-Men yeah. I, I was looking, I was looking around there cause Right below that, we have that Storm uh, solo story. And I, I think this is yeah. better than that for sure. Uh, okay. I mean, I think that's a good place on the list to put it because, you know, it's 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 a story. It's good character work, but it's not particularly right. memorable. So number 46, Wolverine, volume three, number six. And that does it for our uh, stories this week. But because it is the end of the year we did want to do something special we wanted to talk about our favorite things of this year related to x-men uh we had just a couple of categories that we were going to knock out and frankly with the recent wave of cancellations on the x-line some of this is bittersweet oh breaking my it heart it does man. hurt breaking my heart so we're gonna we're gonna start we got a few things here uh favorite solo X-Men book. I guess book's the right word for something like this. Yeah. What solo book was your favorite of this year, Adam? Um, Jean Grey has got to be my favorite solo book. Um, I loved what Dennis Hopeless did with it. I liked that it was almost like a, uh, you know, a Marvel team up book where every single one of the first couple of issues was Jean Grey teaming up with some other superhero somewhere in the Marvel universe to get these lessons for how to beat the Phoenix. I thought that was a fantastic conceit. Um, but I just, I also loved the cameos, uh, that then developed into the cast of what we've been reading in the last couple of issues as it gets to its last issue of the other psychics, um, and or, you know, people in the Jean Grey verse, which I, I just yeah. think it's really cool. I think Jean Grey was a standout for me. Uh, there's there was a couple of books I enjoyed this year. Uh, Old Man Old Man Logan was something mm-hmm. I really liked last year. However, the couple of arcs that they had into this year just didn't do it for me. The end of the Jeff Lemire run and then moving into uh, the Ed Brisson stuff just hasn't hit me right. Uh, I do think the stuff that Tom okay. Taylor's been doing with all new Wolverine has been a lot of fun. We had the end of yeah. Enemy of State two, which was a very good series and right now the current orphans of x arc has been just phenomenal i've really enjoyed that 
But I think the stuff in the middle of that with the Guardians of the Galaxy and the weird infection in New York, I don't think that landed as well. Uh, we mm. also had a cable, which I I nothing cable. It, I've talked about this before, but uh, it just it wasn't a book that did anything for me. No, I wasn't loving that. Um, and we had we had Iceman too. That was a bit uneven. I'd say it had a lot of good ideas, but I think. I think, again, this would be a comic that would be much better if it was just people sitting around talking about their feelings instead of trying to be a superhero comic, too, because that's when the book fell apart for me uh, is when Cena Grace had to okay. do add the superhero elements into it. Like you you could almost see exactly where they saw the editor note that said, that's cool, but we need four pages of punching somewhere in here. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I, I yeah. definitely agree. I think we talked to Dennis. We've talked about it to each other. Uh, Jean Grey is very good. Best solo of the year. I'm sad to see it end. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I'm glad that it's it's making a nice transition into this absolutely bananas Phoenix Resurrection thing, uh, which just came out. Um, if you're listening to this on on Monday, it would have come in the previous week. But oh, yeah, I right? just read that today. That that book is nuts, and you just you just did a quick write up of oh, it uh, on your I site. I got some which thoughts I thought was about cool. this book. We won't get into it, but you can go to Xavier <laughs> yeah. Files. Uh, it'll be on there. Just search for Phoenix Resurrection, or scroll down slightly from when this episode goes up. It'll be the other thing I put up. Uh, next yeah. thing we had for our, I guess awards. I don't know. This is just kind of best of for the year thingy. Uh, yeah, just favorites. Team book for the this year. Is what we liked. I think there were some strong team books. All right. So. Uh, I think Astonishing was a bit slow, but did a lot of good stuff, and I'm excited to see where it went. There were parts of Blue and Gold that I both mm-hmm. really liked. And I think there were some single issues of uh, Uncan- Cullen Bunn's Uncanny X-Men that came out at the start of this year that I did enjoy a bunch. But for me, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's for strong. me, the clear winner, though is uh, Generation X by Christina Strain and Amalakar Pina, which is canceled too. Ugh. This one's killing me because, man, it is so good. It, it Like, we were just, we've just spent most of this episode talking about how we appreciate X-Books that take the time for the character development, have the quiet moments, and mix in the adventures and the fights into that story as opposed to the reverse. Right. And this book does it so well, you know, uh, I think strain is bringing the, the runaways pedigree into this big time. It works so well. It's such a fantastic cast. Um, and it, it combines some elements from some past series that I think just are really yeah, wonderful. It does a, it does a good job with the spirit of generation X while applying it to completely new mm-hmm. characters. And I really liked that. I have, I care about iBoy now, which I'll tell you what, six months yeah. ago, I could not care. <laughs> he would have ranked right next to shark girl on my list. And now, Oh my gosh, he's, I, I like him a lot. I like all the characters that they introduced did such a good job with making, making me want to follow these kids who are essentially otherwise wallpaper follow their adventures and see mm-hmm. what happens. And I am upset that it got cut down in the prime of its life. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. And there, you know, what's, what also upsets me about it is that the court, you know, conceit of the book is that they are the, um, they're the rejects, you know, they're essentially the breakfast club that has to sit around while everybody else goes on their adventures. But there have been little windows into, um, you know, what X-Men gold could be, you know, like who are the other characters that Kitty is bringing with her and leaving the generation X kids behind in certain scenes. And strain is doing such a good job of incorporating the larger X universe cast. Um, and I, I just wish that that sensibility was coming over into the other books. Um, because I think that would be a lot more fun. You know, frankly, I think if you had asked me towards the beginning of the year, which my favorite team book was, I would have said X-Men blue because I think that had such a strong start. I really liked it. I liked the, uh, the writing. I liked the art and that is, you know, it's been a little bit more hit and miss as it goes through like it's bi-weekly, um, you know, run. We've, we've had a lot of those, uh, those two core books going back and forth, but it's, it's missing this character work that strain is doing, which I think both of us yeah. really like. It's, it, it's a good book and I'm going to miss a lot. Now, uh, I wanted to get to favorite issue yeah. of the year in 2017. What X-Men issue hit you more than anything else? My my favorite, and I'm going to come back to Generation X, um, there is a short two-issue arc of Generation X. So this is a little bit of a cheat because yeah, it's yeah. not a single issue. Um, but but six and seven, where um, Quentin has been keeping Benjamin out. Uh, there's this like interesting sibling kind of thing going on there. But there's also a, a, like a weird love triangle there because Benjamin isn't to Nathaniel. And the three of them end up at Cade Kilgore's auction for villain stuff. I, I loved that. Um, it called back, you know, because there's also a subplot with Jubilee and, uh, and Chamber who are trying to find Monet. So we get the callbacks to the original Generation X. We're getting calls back, uh, callbacks to Wolverine and the X-Men, I feel like a little bit. Uh, it all works so well. It's everything that I want out of an X book. Um, it's got a little bit of humor. It's got a little bit of action. There's jokes about Fenris. Like, <laughs> it works really well. I thought the art on those two issues, I like um, the uh, the core artist on Generation X. Um, whose name is slipping my mind right now, but it kind of has that Aeon Flux kind of look to it, um, which I really like. But this, these two issues had a different um, artist on them. I thought the art was on, was great on those. So I really like those stories. How about you? What was your, uh, your standout issue? This is missing a lot of people's best of list. But last week, Ed Piscor's X-Men Grand Design number one came out. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. That book was a revelation to me. There's, they're great. I'm someone who cares about X-Men continuity and concepts and things like that. Obviously, that's my whole deal. So to see someone <laughs> streamline that, to take all that and say, okay, here's the important stuff. Here's how we can tie some of this together. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And it comes from a very specific sensibility. Like Ed Piscor mm -hmm. is – doing everything on this book. He is lettering it by hand. He's doing all of this. And it shows, it feels like this is coming from a unified, like creative force just shooting right out at the reader. 
you can tell that this wasn't an assembly line. This was, hey, we're going to give this guy some pages and let him go at it. And it was everything I wanted. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of it's that kind of ideal that really worked through the Claremont era when it was one guiding voice that was being X-Men. Like even when Simonson was writing some of the books, you know, Simonson was part of the voice that did the early Claremont stuff. So she carried the torch for him. Like it was a unified front. This book was that. It is also gorgeous. Like it has a, it has an alt comics, uh, look to it. It's just a fantastic production design. That book is amazing. And it's, I've described it as reading the most enjoyable Wikipedia article you could ever read. <laughs> it is yeah, mainlining like X-Men continuity. And somehow that sounds terrible. I don't know why that description would make you want to read the book. But it does that so friggin' well. Love that book. So happy that it exists. Yeah. And I shout out to uh, his Iceman. The way that he does the ice on Iceman is like so why good. don't more people like, like how is that great. not the default Iceman? It's it's amazing. I don't know. I mean, it's a really cool way that he does it. Um, all right, so great pick there. Uh, yeah, and our our final one is. Favorite X-Men moment of the year. So this can be a scene, an issue, and are just some what screamed wow to you? What was what made you drop drop your book? What was the moment for you this year? All right. So um I've already said how much I really like the Jean Grey solo. Um, and this is kind of a weird one, because uh, I I don't know that like if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year that I would have even expected this scene to happen, but there is a scene in Jean Grey two where, um, she teams up with hope against the Reavers. And I don't know why, but that really stays with me. I thought that the art on that particular issue, um, by Victor, uh, Victor Ibanez was fantastic. And I just loved seeing those two characters team up especially against someone, you know, random of a, a group of villains as the Reavers um, who just seem to be this, uh, you know, never ending stream of, of robot guys coming out of a basement. There's some really great artwork in that issue. And I absolutely loved that. That, that, that was, was a lot moment. of fun. That was a good issue. My pick of the year definitely also comes from Jean Grey. This comes from a bit more recent. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll preface this with a lot of the X-Men stuff this year has felt safe. Uh, the Inhumans versus mm-hmm. X-Men stuff at the beginning of the year, it was inevitable. It wasn't something I particularly enjoyed. And in fact, the one issue of that is among my least favorite issues of comics. So like that's yeah. not something I loved. And we got we got kind of a reset on the line, but a lot of it felt like it was playing safe. End of the day. Uh, some they mm-hmm. The books have started to expand past that in recent arcs, but – it has it. It's felt like safe books, which is why books like Iceman and Jean Grey and Generation X have stood out because they took some risks. Well, and this is spoilers right. for the most recent issue of Jean Grey. Uh, they took some friggin' risks in that last issue. The entire True. run has been building up to Jean Grey preparing for the Phoenix. And then it comes and she realizes she's not ready. 
And the Phoenix burns her alive to bone and ash and cinder. And I do not believe for a second that she is actually perma-dead. Like, I have theories. I have all this stuff out there. Plus, there's a whole other issue. And she's in solicits for some other books. So let's use our meta clues here to put this together. But there are very I, – I can't believe that we didn't even pick up on any of that twist when we were talking to Dennis because he no. played that tight. Marvel played that so tight and it worked because that was great. Yeah. That was an amazing, amazing moment. It had me so excited for Phoenix Resurrection, which is going on right now. I want to see what happens next. There's been so – so few things this year oh. that made me say I have to pick up the next issue right now. That did it for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and I and I loved that, you know, at the end of, of issue 10, it basically says at the bottom of the page, like, go read one to five Phoenix Resurrection, then come back next issue and we'll kind of like sort all this out. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> you're right. Like there was an excitement there that you know, we're not necessarily seeing uh, elsewhere. So I, yeah. I, Right and that, that was good. I think 2017 has been a good year for X-Men. Even outside of uh, the comics front, there has been Logan came out, which was pretty good. Uh, we we yeah, had awesome Legion event. come out, which was an entire podcast worth of thoughts. Pretty awesome. And we've had The yeah. Gifted come out, Great which show. has gotten better. Yeah, I gotta I gotta catch up on that. I, I'm excited to. Uh, see I mean, the Fenris is a main character in a TV show, and it's 2017. Mm-hmm. How is this <laughs> happening? Ah, <laughs> oh, either yeah. way, yeah. it's been it's been a good year, and it's been a it's been a good year for Battle of the Atom. Now, everything related to Battle of the Atom can be found on my website, XavierFiles.com. Uh, that is also where I do weekly x-men recaps of different characters and things like that uh if you want to support this show or xavier files or anything that happens you can go on over to patreon.com slash xavier files and pledge a little bit of bit of money that helps us out uh at the uh, two dollar level you can actually request an issue that we will build an episode around just like uh, sean mcnally did today so thank you again sean beyond that i guess you can just find me at a at Xavier Files on Twitter. That's right. That's right. Right, Adam? That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, what's going on with you? Where can people find you? Uh, you guys can always follow me at Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And you can go to adamreck.tumblr.com. I am working hard on uh, new pages for the next uh, installment of Vision Jubes. Um, if you did not get a print copy of Vision Jubes Age of Strife, please hit me up on Twitter. I do have some extras. Um, so if anybody wants one, if you go to the big cartel store, you'll see that it says sold out. Um, but I do have a couple laying around. So if, uh, you would like one, just hit me up on Twitter and, uh, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, and hopefully within the next couple of weeks, you're going to be seeing some new Bish and Jupe stuff, um, which I'm very excited to share because it's, it's going to be really fun. I'm very excited to see that. Man, why didn't I put Mission Jubes as one of the best comics? Because there's well, some moments in Mission nice Jubes that threw me through a loop. But yeah, uh, this has been uh, Battle of the Atom. This has been a good 2017. Here's hoping 2018 goes even better. Get 